Hello and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi. And I'm feeling, well, I'm feeling kind of mellow and a little bit twisted for a lot of reasons, and I'll get into that. But I'm feeling like I'm in the mood to talk to you. And it's kind of a strange thing. I remember hearing comedians talking about when was it time, when was it okay to be funny after 9-11, after September 11th? And having lived through September 11th in downtown New York City and spent time in Ground Zero and, well, we don't have to go into that right now. It didn't feel like anything would ever be funny again. Like to laugh, to make a joke was like dishonoring the memory of all of those people who were killed that day. But then after a while, I realized, and we all realized that how better to honor them but by living and loving and having joy and having laughter and just trying to raise up and be good, you know? If you're going to go into a black hole, how, how exactly is that honoring them? Well... In a lot of ways, at least for the people in Israel and the people who love Israel and the people who love people in Israel and for the people who are worried for the innocent people that are being hurt by this, um, this is kind of a 9-11 all over again. Certainly if you're living in Israel right now, that's how you feel, I would think. That's how my good friend feels who's there who's thinking to go and get a gun for the first time since he was in the army. Everybody has a different way to process it. it, Whether you're Jewish or not Jewish or Israeli or not Israeli, you know, it's a terrible thing. And if you are Jewish, more than likely it's hitting you a little harder. What I've been noticing, that's kind of a beautiful thing. So I'm going to dwell on that for a moment if you won't mind. But what I've been noticing is that a lot of people who are not Jewish started reaching out to me. I guess everybody knows I'm Jewish and I talk a lot about being Jewish and I love being Jewish and I love Israel. That's generally known. But I I got some really, really sweet messages from um, my two sister-in-laws to ask me how I was, how am I doing, how am I feeling? People just kind of checking in, are you okay? And I find myself doing it too to the people in my life who are Jewish, who have family in Israel, who love Israel. Are you okay? And generally everyone's heartbroken. But the images, I've seen and we've all seen terrible images of murder and, and terrorism happen in Israel. But what's been happening now feels worse. I mean, I guess I was probably too young 50 years ago for the Yom Kippur War, but the images I'm seeing, they don't look like any kind of a war. Because in a war, it's soldiers shooting at other soldiers, and when civilians get killed, it's an accident. That's generally the idea anyway. But these are images of civilians, of babies, of 
old people, grandmothers, parents, sisters, young people, all sorts of innocent people being murdered, being kidnapped, just terror, terror. It's just terror. It's not war, it's terrorism. And it's not good for anyone. It doesn't help anyone in Palestine. It really doesn't. I feel my heart aches for the innocent people that don't want this, that hate this, that hate terror, that hate this sort of murder and, and ugh. And that they're going to be hurt by it, of course. Now, I'm not a political person. I'm not savvy. I can't, you know, get all poetic with you about what's right and wrong and what works and what doesn't work. I'll just tell you what I see and what I feel. And what I see and what I feel is just pain and agony and murder and terror and fear and sadness and heartbreak. And it feels shocking and new. Well, let me put it this way. It feels shocking and new to the people in my life who, well, who are not Jewish. I'll just say it like that. And to some of the people in my life who are Jewish, who are a little bit younger. But for me, and for the people I know who are Jewish, who are a little bit older, it doesn't feel new. And the first thing I said to myself when I got the news of what was going on was, here we go again. It feels old, painfully old and familiar. And when does it end? When will it ever end? So yes, this is a heavy podcast. And I love making you laugh. I love telling you silly stories about my life. I do. It gives me so much joy. But I'm having a hard time doing that right now. So I think what I'm going to do instead, I've thought about this. I can't erase this terrible massacre. I can't erase the death and darkness and murder and fear and horror and all of these images that you've seen. I can't make peace in the Middle East as much as I would love to see it happen. But what I can do is try to put love into the world as best I can. Try to put joy in the world as best I can. My niece, my powerful niece, Ruby, a.k.a. Hannah, Hannah Ben Abraham, She's had a very interesting life. So she's religious. So she has her head covered in a shadal or a shmata, um, as married women do if they're religious Jews. And she, you know, things were not going so great for her in L.A., which is, I guess, a great place to be if you're a religious Jew. And she went to Dallas, Texas, and started working in a Hebrew school in Dallas, Texas. I said, I didn't even know there were any Jews in Dallas, Texas. Really? I couldn't believe it. I went to visit her with my girlfriend, Lila, a couple times, actually. And she wound up becoming enormously successful in Dallas, Texas. And she became the youngest dean that the school had ever had. Amazing. I think maybe she just turned 30. It's unreal. And then she got headhunted to take over a school in Orlando, Florida. Amazing. And she relocated her family, her husband, her babies, her children. And she sent me a link today. She was talking to the news, 
the local news in Orlando, Florida, about how she's helping her students cope with the terror that just happened in Israel. And she was so well-spoken. I mean, normally you get on the news, unless you're a professional newscaster, you're saying, you know, um, 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 you know, lots of stuttering and wasted time. She was maybe on the air for two or three minutes at the most, and she was eloquent and powerful and really well-spoken. The gist of what she said was that they're standing in the school shoulder to shoulder, their arms around each other, all the students and the faculty singing songs of love and courage and camaraderie. And that's how they've chosen to deal with this. The students are so frightened. A lot of them have family in Israel. A lot of them have family who are in the reserves being called up to go to battle. And so instead, they're holding each other and singing, filling this dark place with love. And so I think maybe that is the answer. For me, the answer, as much as, oh my God, the horror and the heartache and fury, I mean, it's just mind-boggling. As much as part of me wants to get on a plane and go over there and start hitting people, you know, it's human, right? But I think the better reaction is love, at least for me. I don't know. Is it going to help all of those people who were murdered and all the people who are terrified and hurt and scared and heartbroken? I don't know, but maybe it'll help you if you're listening to me, if I could fill the void with love. So I'm going to try to do that. You know, growing up, I always felt like a child of the Holocaust. It's interesting because my parents were older when they had kids, and they were the babies of their family. So they had family that was lost in the Holocaust and sort of all about the Holocaust. But my mother was so terrified that I would forget what happened in Nazi Germany that she just never stopped talking about it. So much so that my sister and I, well, we used to play dolls. So she had Barbie, and I just saw the Barbie movie. I got to say, I loved it, really did love it. It was very inspiring. I think every girl between the age of 12 and 100 should go and see it. Maybe the boys too, so they learn something. It was very inspiring about patriarchy and sexism and all that kind of stuff, powerful. But so my sister had Barbies and Dawn dolls. Those were the smaller ones. Barbies were the big ones. She had the Dawn dolls too. And I might have had a couple of those dolls, but I basically just gave them to her because I really wasn't interested in girly things. I had the G.I. Joe action figure. I had the big Jim doll. When you pressed his back, he would karate chop. And I had an army doll called an Action Jackson. It's a little hard to say. Try it 10 times real fast. Action Jackson, Action Jackson. Well, you get the point. Anyway, so... My mother had this whole Holocaust thing drummed into us so much that when my sister and I played in the bedroom, we shared a bedroom. My brother, because he was a boy, he got his own room. I really hated the sexism in my house. I got to tell you, I raged against it. But I digress, like always. But anyway, my sister and I 
We started playing concentration camp with our dolls. I kid you not. This is how much it was ingrained on us. Never forget, never forget. So, of course, G.I. Joe would be a Nazi guard. And so would Action Jackson. And so would Big Jim. But occasionally Big Jim would become a concentration camp victim, too. And, and then everyone else would take turns. And sometimes the Dawn dolls, since they were so tall and blonde, they sort of looked alpha Nazi, you know, would become a guard. But very often the prisoners... And then we started to put vampire blood. That was that fake synthetic vampire blood that you could get on Halloween on the dolls who were supposed to be the prisoners. And unfortunately, it never came off. So that meant if someone was a prisoner and got vampire blood on them, they were always going to have to be the prisoner ever after. And I feel really bad for the Barbies that my sister, she was trying to practice being a hairdresser and she cut their hair. It was fairly terrifying. And when I saw the Barbie movie, and I saw the weird Barbie, and if you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. I thought about all the weird Barbies that my sister made. And they all had to be prisoners after, after their haircut was sort of butchered. But thinking about it now, like how much was this drummed into us that we had to play concentration camp with our dolls? I mean, it's kind of sick, right? There you have it. Um, later on, I got a little older, lost interest with dolls altogether. Although I have to tell you, I do wish that I'd kept some of those dolls because I think they'd be worth a fortune. Well, not the ones with their hair butchered, covered in vampire blood, but the other ones. And then the other problem with playing with the dolls is occasionally we would get a doll when it was new. Um, but mostly my mother would get us the dolls when they were incredibly discounted for a reason. So there was a big, giant department store in New Jersey called the Grants, G-R-A-N-T-S, Grants. Do you remember Grants? It was big. It was like Kmart, only with higher-class stuff, I think, or Sears, you know, of that caliber. And when Grants started having going out of business sales, it lasted a long time. It felt like it lasted a year, but it must have lasted about six months And the first days of the going out of business sale, everything in the store was like 10% off, which was, you know, for my family, that was like a who cares. 10% off? Are you kidding? That's not even worth getting out of bed for. But then it got to be 20% off? Nah, still not worth going for. But when it got to be 50% off, we checked it out and it got more and more and more. But in the last week of the grants going out of business sale, it was a little bit depressing to walk in there because, I mean, the place was ransacked. You know, the overflowing beautiful aisles of toys and clothes and things were really down to like a scattered skeleton of stuff. And you could pretty much get everything for almost nothing. And so it was at that point that my mother said, now we're gonna go shopping. And so what did I get? And usually the gifts from that bounty, I wound up getting on Hanukkah, eight days of Hanukkah, right? But I would get these doled out to me over the eight days of Hanukkah. So like the first day of Hanukkah, I would get some toy that was maybe from grants going out of business sale when it was only 20 or 30% off. So the toy looked almost okay. Maybe just some, some little tear in the clothes, some minor thing. 
But by the last couple of days of Hanukkah, it was like, oh, forget it. Like the big gem doll, the whole deal with the big gem doll was that you press something in his back and he would karate chop, right? But my mother got the big gem on the last week of the grants going out of business sale. So when you would press the thing in his back, he just kind of would get like a nervous twitch. He wouldn't karate chop. So basically, I got a neurotic, anxiety-ridden big gem who couldn't karate chop. I mean, I don't think that was good for my psyche. You know what I mean? So naturally, neurotic, twitchy Jim had to become, you know, a concentration camp victim and not a guard because if he was a guard, how effective is he going to be? You know, do this, do that. Eh, I'm too neurotic. You know, it doesn't work. But you throw that into the mix that we're getting all these fakaka broken toys and we're making them all concentration camp victims. I don't know. Is there a moral to the story? Well, I suppose it's this. Never, ever, ever forget the Holocaust. It was a terrible thing, and it really did happen. But maybe don't talk about it with your young children in enormous detail. Like my mother could have said, Adolf Hitler was a monster who murdered 6 million Jews and 13 million people and, you know, really was a terrible person, and we did lose family in that horrible war. Okay, so that's enough, right? That's already traumatic to say to a six-year-old kid. Enough, Diana, right? But to get into the details, your great-great-uncle suffocated on a cargo train going to Auschwitz where there were hundreds of people crammed in the train and someone went to the bathroom on him. Like, did I have to hear that at six years old? I mean, okay, I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe it made me a better person. I don't know. But it was traumatic. So with that in mind, when I started seeing all of this horrible news about what happened in Israel, it felt painful, excruciating, but also familiar and old. And yeah, the voice said, here we go again. And that's the reason my mother wanted me to never forget First of all, to forget would be to dishonor the loss of all of those millions of innocent people. But the big reason to never forget is so it doesn't happen again. And it felt a little bit like it happened again recently in Israel in a smaller scale compared to the Holocaust, of course, but it definitely was a 9-11, a September 11th for Israel. And there are still, as I'm talking to you, kidnapped people. We don't know where they are. We don't know if they're being tortured. We don't know if they're dead. So huh, what do you do with that? Now, this is a heavy, dark podcast, I know. And you're like, yo, Rossi, I listen to you so I can get cheered up, right? But also, you know, maybe you're feeling heavy and dark, too. Because most of the people I'm talking to are downright upset. So maybe it's just okay to be upset for a little while, right? How about that? So how about this? You're listening to me. Maybe you're in your living room. Maybe you're sitting on the toilet. I would take that as a huge compliment if you were listening to me while you were sitting on the toilet because I would know I inspired you to properly take care of business, you know? Maybe you're listening to me while you're in bed. A lot of people say that I help them fall asleep because they find me, I'm going to say soothing as opposed to boring, you know. But I mean, 
for whatever reason, I help them fall asleep. So maybe you're listening to me while you're in bed. And maybe you're listening to me while you're in the kitchen cooking something. Now that makes me really happy because maybe I inspired you to cook something because I do talk about food and I am a chef after all. But so while you're listening to me, if you're feeling upset this week, and you certainly should, I mean, how could you not feel upset? If you're feeling upset about what happened in Israel, what's going on in the world, about all of this sadness and heartache and death, just let it out right now. Just let it out. I mean, there's about 20 words I want to say that I can't say because I'm on public radio. But how about if we just do what we can do? You can say those words, so knock yourself out. Just shout out 10 bad words right now. Do the S word and the A word and the M word and the F word and any word you feel like saying. So I'm going to say mofo, apple hole, dingleberry. Um, All those were okay, right? Um, hmm, Let's see. Let's see. Um, Apple, hole, dingleberry, mofo, shingle, dingle. All right. Well, I'm trying. It just doesn't work that well. Sometimes you want to curse, but I'm not cursing. I'm behaving myself, but we're letting it all out, right? Holy mofo dingleberry apple hole dingleberry shingle dingle. So there it's out, 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 out. Now I'm going to fill that space. We made a big space. We got all that out of our kishka, blew it out. Now let's take in some love right now. Fill the space, fill the heartache and the terror and the fear and the upset and the pain and the agony with love right now. I don't know you, but right now I love you. So how about that? I love you. I love you and you love me. Let's go plant a banana tree. Where the hell did that come from? Someone said that to me when I was a kid or something. Anyway, fill in the void with love. All right. And it kind of seems like the only thing you can do, right? You know, after 9-11, it was a long time before I felt comfortable to go to a restaurant and sit down and have dinner. I remember my girlfriend at the time kept trying to get me to go to a restaurant with her, and I, I just couldn't. I felt too guilty to sit and enjoy food and drink in a restaurant. It just had been too hor- horrible, and so I couldn't do it. She wanted to send me to a psychiatrist. She's like, you need to go to a psychiatrist if you can't go to a restaurant. And I said, 3,000 people died right in front of us. I cannot sit down in a restaurant. Well, you know what? Eventually I did sit down in a restaurant and eventually I went back to my life. But my life was never the same. I used to take life for granted before September 11th. I really did. And I used to say, oh, whatever. There'll always be another chance another time. But not since 9-11. It changed forever after. I never took anything for granted again, and I never just assumed there'd be another time. And so this is going to change us too. And I hope the change will be a good one. I hope we'll fill that bleak, dark space with love and kindness. I hope we'll find a way to bring peace throughout the whole world, not just Israel, but right now especially in Israel. And I hope 
we can just be better. Can we just be friggin' better for crying out loud? Do we have to be so crappy? Do human beings have to be so crappy? Can't we just all get along for crying out loud? All right, well, there you have it. That's my spiel. So a little dark, I get it. Oh, what about the food? I have to talk about food, all that suffering. I opened my heart and soul for you and you still want me to talk about food? Fine. When I'm talking about my mother, I'm talking about being Jewish. So I got to think about my mother's porcupine meatballs. Kind of a weird thing. So my mother used to make these meatballs where she would have rice and she would just do like rice in a bag or minute rice. She was not like cooking rice the old fashioned way. She'd have some rice. She'd always have chopped meat. She would have veal. But once I found out where veal came from, I would never wanted anything to do with it again because I love the baby cows. So I have boycotted veal for about four decades, and I always will. You do whatever you want. But she also would do it with kosher turkey and beef. And the idea is ground beef or ground turkey with rice. Now, now it, this couldn't be done with raw rice and Porcupine meatballs usually are with raw rice, but I prefer to have rice that is cooked kind of al dente and mix that with the raw beef or the raw turkey or the combo and chopped really fine chopped onion and some Worcestershire and salt and pepper and celery salt and get it kind of gorgeous like that. You could also mix in egg. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Season it up, some garlic powder, some onion powder. Now, sometimes people do the raw rice and you need a lot more liquid later on. That's why I prefer the al dente rice. And I like to brown the meatballs either in a frying pan and oil or in the oven first. Then I make a really gorgeous sauce. Sauce, there's my New Yorker. Tomato sauce, garlic, but now we're kind of making it a little Jewishy, so we're not going so Italian, oregano and basil, more like paprika, garlic, tomato sauce salt, pepper, more celery salt. And sometimes I'll hit a little Worcestershire in there too. Sometimes I'll even give it a little V8 vegetable juice because I want it really wet. Make a gorgeous sauce and I cover the meatballs in the sauce, stick it in the oven. So they've already browned, so they're not raw, but now we're covering in the sauce and sticking in the oven or freezing them and unfreezing them and doing it a week later, whatever you want. They're called porcupine because of the rice gives them kind of a porcupine thing. Now, if you do the raw rice, then you really have to make sure there's a lot of liquid in the sauce, like add water and simmer it, simmer the meatballs in the sauce for like at least 50 minutes because you don't want to bite into raw rice. It'll hurt your teeth. You know what I mean? That was my mother's porcupine meatballs, basically meatballs with rice in them. I think it's easier just to do the cooked rice, the rice being a little out dente because it's going to get a lot more cooked later on. And that's a shout out to my mother. Before the microwave came, my mother was a darn good cook. She did meatballs. She did goulash. She did her famous cabbage and noodles. I'll give you the recipe for that another time. And the main ingredient, well, two main ingredients, love and guilt. I love you. I love you. Eat, eat, guilt. What? I made the beautiful food for you and now you're so rotten. Stab me in the heart. What are you doing? You know. You got to add a little bit of both, you know, for seasoning. So listen, it's a hard, dark time right now. There's a lot of pain, a lot of sadness, and a lot of strife. And it really, you know, we're all people and we're all feeling it. 
But I think if you're Jewish, you might just be feeling it a little more. It might be hurting a little more. So just be nice to all the people in your life who are Jewish because we need you right now. We need the support. And just be nice to everybody, Jewish or not Jewish. Be kind, be decent. This is a dark time. Fill it with love and kindness. Fill it with serenity. Fill it with anything good you can. Let's try to balance out all this evil. And this is not war, what just happened. It's terror, terrorism. It's different. It's a terrible thing. I want to cover it all with a blanket of love. Or at least I want to try. In the meanwhile, I'm just going to give you some love. And you pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. And be nice to yourself. All right? Because I like you. I don't even know you, but I like you. All right, I'm shutting up now. Enough of that. This is Rossi feeling kind of sad, but um, pushing through as best I can for raging and eating. And as always, food is love and so are you.